Yep, yep, good. Alright. Hello and welcome back to doing another episode of Projecting. That's why you're listening to this. So, there's no creative intro. We're just going to dive into it. I'm here with um, my friend Sheila Borkar. She's went to UVA with me. I was her first swing dance teacher. Whoa, whoa! He was! And your friend Hannah, I cannot pronounce your last name. Gingrich. Gingrich. Okay, so it's yeah. Gingrich. Got it. <laughs> I guess I couldn't remember it. So, That's yes. Fair. Hannah Gingrich That's and Sheila Borkar, they are homies out in D.C. And... Sheila, you are from Virginia. I forgot exactly. You're mm-hmm. from Virginia. I am from right? Ruston, Virginia, one of the first planned communities in the United States. <laughs> and Hannah is from Michigan. Yeah, Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm-hmm. home of the Wolverines and lots of snow. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, so they're down here for Mardi Gras right now, and I kind of off the cuff was like, hey, we should do a podcast because they're both really into sustainability and environmental issues. Um, not in the sense of like, Oh, and it, it's, it's all about recycling and reduce oil, but it's a lot more, I'll get into some very interesting topics of, um, Sheila does a lot of urban planning, architecture type stuff, um, a lot of, what you call something, arcaneer. planning. Yeah, well, I was able to just like your background was like, you call something, arcaneer yeah. at, at Aww, UK. Those were the days. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, you're a lot of, uh, I know you did some studying during college of like bike lanes out in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. and then, um. Anna, you were talking about you do a lot of food sustainability and food recovery work. Mm-hmm. So um, for a nonprofit right now, doing a fellowship. Mm-hmm. So I just thought we we were kind of kicking the idea around a bit. And I think the theme we were all kind of focusing on was just, we always talk about sustainability. People talk about the environment. And I think the average person understands like, don't pollute, don't throw your crap on the street, try to reduce your energy consumption. But I think y'all specific world you're in Maybe people have heard of it. Maybe people have getting thought of it. But I think y'all provide some kind of interesting insights into that. Hopefully, so I yeah. guess kind of either one of y'all kind of kick off with like how you got to where you are and kind of some of the work you do and and, and just how it might be relatable yeah. to the average person. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I'll start off. This is Sheila. I um, currently work in transportation planning with a company that specializes in bike lane design and sidewalk rehabilitation and just generally getting people out of their cars and into a more active form of transportation. You say sidewalk rehabilitation. It's like places where they're just in crappy condition and trying to make them more useful. Yeah, make them more useful, um, improve areas where maybe there are good sidewalks on either side of this one part of town, but there's a broken link um, that makes them less useful. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I guess I actually got into transportation um, kind of interested in how we can, you know, reduce our fuel consumption, um, but mostly because I just really hated driving as a teenager. And uh, yeah, well, I I mean, I was always uncomfortable with driving, but when I was 17, I had an incident while I was driving in a car and came really close to fainting. Like, my vision was kind of going in and out. Um and it terrified just stress, me. Just because of stress? Like, it's just a stressful event to drive? It was just too much? Um, yeah, and I think, like, I had been stressed for other reasons leading up to that. And, um, yeah, just after that, really, really didn't want to get in a car and drive myself anywhere. Um, and as you can imagine, found it really difficult to get around. I found ways, and I did drive a couple of places, but I thought it was pretty ridiculous that... Um, there are so many places in the world where they have really well-developed bus systems, train systems, um, where things are close enough to each other that you can walk or bike places. Um, so I kind of wanted to see some more of that in my own community. And 
after a kind of circuitous route in college, got into that professionally. And here I am. And where do you work at currently? If you don't, if, if you don't want to, if you're worried about it being out in the airwaves, no worry. But like, what's, what, what's your current employ specifically? Um, like what? Yeah, like what do you do specifically? Because I, I know that like. So yeah, so I am an engineer. Um, my I do that can mean a lot of different things. Even just within transportation engineering, um, I do a little bit of like hardscape design for roads and also traffic engineering. Um, figuring out if there's enough space on the roads to like um, focus some of that space on bicycles and if it's okay to take away parking and. Um, lots of interesting and also controversial stuff. <laughs> and what about you, Hannah? Yeah, so I work for an organization. It's called the Food Recovery Network. Actually, just Food Recovery Network. No, the. Um, and we run chapters at 170 colleges and universities across the country. Uh, and these chapters are they consist of students that run food recovery programs on their campuses. So they recover food from their dining halls, all the food that would have normally been thrown out at the end of the night, but still good to eat. They'll pick up, they'll take it to a soup kitchen um, or uh, any other area or space in their community that serves meals to people in need. Um, and they also do recoveries from athletics and from local restaurants, farms. Some of our chapters glean really seriously. Um, so basically my job is to help support these students in their work and then to you know, provide more creative programming and help us grow as an organization. Um, I kind of got involved in food recovery because when I was in college at the University of Michigan, uh, I was a sophomore and I feel like I hadn't done a lot for my community at that point and my friend asked me to become a volunteer coordinator for um, our chapter Food Recovery Network, which was the ninth school back then, FRN was much smaller. Um, and I really was interested in helping out um, my community from a hunger standpoint. I know that um, you know in Michigan and the rest of the country, hunger is a huge issue, and I just thought it was kind of silly that I wasn't doing anything to, to help fight that. Um, so I got involved from that angle because the other side of things is all that food that normally be wasted is recovered, but then also with that recovered food, people are being fed meals that they, they really need. Um, so that's how I got involved. I started with the Michigan chapter. Um, we grew really rapidly and started recovering from, you know, six dining halls on our campus. And now we recover the food that doesn't uh, get, gets wasted by athletics, um, or doesn't get wasted because it's being recovered. But um, I was really interested in it, so I moved to DC and kind of like wanted to turn the tables and help other students be leaders uh, with their chapters. Um, I think one thing people are starting to be aware of is food waste, but it's definitely not talked about as much as you said in the beginning, um, like recycling or um, energy efficiency, other things, but food waste is a huge environmental issue. Um, it, when your food decomposes in the landfill, it releases methane, which is uh, about 26, I think, 26 times as powerful uh, of an agent for greenhouse gas change um, as carbon dioxide. So it's, it's releasing a lot more and, and changing our environment much more rapidly than CO2. Um, so that's like a huge issue um, and all of the resources that go into producing that food if you throw it out those resources are wasted too um, how many um how many schools are you at now you said you're very small it's only nine when you started yeah so but, uh, we're at 170 yeah. now so how many years is that so it's been five years this is our fifth year of FRN wow. started at the University of Maryland just as a group of students trying to do it on their campus uh, they talked to their friends at Brown and a couple of schools in California and realized that other people wanted to do it as well so they started a national nonprofit. Um, and then, like I said, when I joined, Michigan was the ninth school, that might be the right number, but somewhere around there. 
Um, and it grew pretty rapidly from there. And now we're adding chapters pretty much every week, new schools. And uh, we have about 100 applications from other chapters or, or other potential chapters and students around the country. And people are always applying to start, which is really awesome. So what are some of the like requirements that they have to meet in order to do it? Like what's kind of like your your overall litmus test slash requ- yeah, what, what do they need to do or yeah, have in place to do it? Yeah, it's really simple. I think they need passion and they need to put time and energy towards making it work. So usually a recovery program, it takes a few volunteers um, and they form a relationship with their dining services or the restaurants that they're, they're recovering from. Um, and they kind of sit them down and explain how the process works. And once they're on board, um, basically it takes organizing weekly recoveries or whatever time frame makes sense for your dining services. Um, and organizing that can be easy. Sometimes it's harder to get volunteers based on the size of your campus and you know how engaged other students are. Um, and then they just have to figure out all the details. And that's sort of where we come in as we help them with the expansion process. When they're first starting a chapter, they get personally coached by one of our staff members. So, so you kind of help them figure out the logistics and mm-hmm. what the day-to-day operations look like. Yeah, exactly. Because no one is really like, no one just knows how to run a food recovery program. No one's like <laughs> super up in the know about food safety unless you've like already worked in a dining hall. Uh, and some of our students have, but in general, it's something that people need to, to learn. And it, they're really passionate and they take the time and energy to work with us, which is awesome. So, like, what do you find is, like, an intersection for you two? So, obviously, you two live together, and you're both kind of in different realms of a similar world of environmental impact, and how do you think, so, I mean, what, I know you two joke a lot about you're, like, the same person, so yeah, do you all ever, like, talk about your work with each other and find, like, kind of weird cross-sections occasionally? Yeah. Maybe the answer is no, I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, if we don't, we should. Well, but. I think, I mean, both of our jobs are not only about figuring out more sustainable ways to use our resources but also figuring out ways to build stronger and more tight-knit communities Mm -hmm. um and just figuring out how to how to give back and yeah yeah i think i think that's a really good point um is like a strong uh, tight-knit and sustainable community definitely relies on a lot of things and one of them is making sure that everyone in your community has enough food to eat and is um, getting the right nutrition and then the other one another big part of it would be making sure that they can get around appropriately mm-hmm. um, and safely <laughs> and safely definitely safely and I mean another I guess intersection would be that we have some students that do recoveries via bike mm-hmm. um, we have some students that have thought about walking um, and it, I have students that work in Manhattan and it's really hard for them to like have a car and drive um, so I imagine the metro or the subway is not the best way to transport the food safe way to take food around the city. Um, yeah, so I guess I I sometimes have to think about creative transportation options for my students as well, which mm. brings you back to the whole idea of like having different options for transportation. Well, having a city kind of planned or altered over time to accommodate different types of transportation as well, especially cities that were built hardcore around like cars or built hardcore around trains and yeah therefore the few roads for cars there are there's no bike lanes as you were saying yeah right there's no room for them or the culture is too resistant to it right in the moment that's another thing i was gonna say that's probably something i'll both have to deal with is like the culture of like it's not like the culture of waste because it always makes it sound like everybody throws their foods out an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that simple, you know. <laughs> right, it's like it right, might be negligent. Not. It might be they're not thinking about it. But like generally, these things aren't malicious, you know. It's, right. it's so like what no. do y'all deal with on a day to day basis as far as like cultural biases and dealing with like communities not wanting to deal with it? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that's something you're going to come up against in any aspect of sustainability and working for it. Uh, it takes which, work. <laughs> it does. It takes work and like talking to people and meeting them where they're at because you can definitely sound patronizing or, mm-hmm, you know, they might absolutely. feel like you sound patronizing because 
you've spent years educating yourself on this one specific thing and they haven't and that's not like a reflection on anyone's character it's just like you have to figure out how to introduce that idea to how people. to not cause condescending right yeah exactly um, i, I really thought about that yeah communication of knowledge really without hard. being like let me baby walk you through this right it's really yeah. hard yeah. yeah i think with food waste and, and recovery it's a little bit easier because everyone agrees that you shouldn't throw out food i mean there's no one that stands <laughs> up and is like yeah let's throw this out like this is awesome um and like, like why are we doing bike lanes it's for hipsters right yeah like, no, I, I mean i imagine people say that has, like, oh yeah, absolutely biking's a fad it. i don't care about these bougie kids there's or, actually a, <laughs> a huge controversy in dc right now so one thing that's bringing up more and more across the country is um not just putting like striped bike lanes on your roads but actually putting some sort of vertical physical barrier between bikes and cars and it's a great way to get a lot of people who aren't as comfortable or just kind of just getting into cycling as a way of getting around um, to feel more comfortable on roads. That's why I never just do when they have the bike, not to interrupt you, but they have the bike yeah. symbol in the middle of a street yeah, instead of being, it, that I'm like, I can I mean, bike technically on any street. You putting that there is not going to make people nicer to me. Right. I don't like. I really, I get really nervous about biking around New Orleans. I don't really yeah. have much of a desire. I can understand why you would. Like, I think it would make me really nervous too. Um, but yeah, these these protected bike lanes are becoming much more common because obviously they make people feel like they're safer. Um, and there are only a couple of them in DC right now, and only a couple that go north south. Um, and they're trying to build another one pretty close to where we live mm. um, that's kind of closer to the middle of the city. And there is huge opposition um, coming from a historic church kind of in the center of town. because. Oh, that's um, well, it's because to make room for this bike lane, they're considering taking away some of the parking from this church where mm. a lot of its congregants actually live out in Maryland and drive in because they were pushed out of the city because pr- housing prices got too high. Mm-hmm. So that's a legitimate um, right. for them. Yeah, right. I but can it's, see that. But you it's, still have to solve the problem. It's this like becoming this narrative of uh, people whose families are rooted in the city versus hipsters who just want more bike lanes when mm. it's obviously more complex than that. But... Um, is there a way to just have the parking lot exist on some there? Are, yeah, there. I mean, there are some exists. alternatives that are being considered okay. that actually, I I don't think they would make anyone too unhappy. But good. There's. It's just like right now. It seems like it's two sides who aren't making much of an effort to to get mm-hmm. along with each other and and find some compromise. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always so important to make an effort to see things from the other side and not yeah. be condescending yeah definitely yeah we work with that with our students as well um from two angles just definitely letting them know um how hard people in dining services work and how it's important to not be like oh my gosh you're throwing out all this food like it, i mean you try to cook food for like an unest like you can't estimate how many people are really going to walk into your dining hall at any yeah. point and if you run out of food like that's not a good thing, and people are going to be mad at you, and students are going to complain. And they're definitely going to notice not enough food over throwing out too much totally. food. Totally, yeah. they want to. Well, the, the last student that comes in at nine at night wants to make sure that they have all of the options and the beautiful buffet laid out for them and whatnot. I don't think it's necessarily reasonable for a student to expect that, but that's something that dining services has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely try to make sure that, and our students already know this, but just uh, creating like a good dialogue with them. 
Um, and I think on the other end is like we really encourage our students to get to know the clients that the, their partner agencies serve. So these are the people who um, are coming to the soup kitchens and the shelters and the other places that are serving meals. Um, just because, I don't know, it, it's important to, I guess, break down the barrier and make sure that everyone is being treated and um, getting to know each other like from a place of respect rather than just like we are giving you this food and that's the extent of the relationship that doesn't really create lasting change necessarily yeah. that's a big conversation to have though that's a, something I'm not an expert on for sure and something people bring up a lot when they're thinking about emergency food relief versus long-term mm-hmm. change so mm-hmm. do you guys ever run into problems with laws against donating prepared food and like how how do they how handle the food safety like health health risks because i think yeah yeah I, I think some soup kitchen in dc stopped accepting um prepared yeah. food a couple of years ago really i i don't know anything about because you guys are based in, in maryland right? we're based in college park yeah. mm-hmm. um so there's no it's not illegal to donate prepared food there's a federal law called the bill emerson good samaritan food act um, I think it's Food Act, but it's definitely Bill Emerson Good Samaritan, and uh, it protects any organization that donates food in good faith and follows food safety standards. Um, so pre- donating prepared foods, as long as you uh, follow the proper like reheating and cooling and if you're freezing it processes, um, is totally fine, but you're right, it's up to the organization if they want to accept prepared foods or not. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing to consider is you when you're accepting prepared foods, it's a little bit harder to control what you're serving people because you never exactly know what you're getting from your donation site. And when you're cooking the meal from like wholesale produce or whatever else you might accept in form of donation, that's a bit easier to have a recipe laid out and to know that you're gonna get people like a widespread of like healthy food for that meal. Um, so that's something that I definitely understand if you're a partner agency and you don't wanna accept prepared foods. And it's, it's like, usually not an issue there's always a place in the communities that we work in that will accept the prepared foods um but i mean that's something we consider it's not illegal it's an issue yeah um when did that act pass just out of curiosity when was that yeah 20 years ago this is actually the 20th anniversary and congress is working to potentially expand some parts of that to make food recovery more um desirable for people right because so i don't know if you know but the u.s this year passed uh national food waste standards so they're trying to reduce Uh food waste i think by 50 percent. i might get this wrong don't quote me on it um in the next few years and so now all of a sudden um you have a lot more like legislative action happening around food waste it's actually really exciting um europe has been kind of working with food waste for a while but um this is the first time that as a country we've really acknowledged the problem and are like making strides towards changing it so it's exciting yeah so yeah, no, I just think it's, it's just fascinating. I was like, I was like, I just, I just, I'm like, there's no real additional question here. I'm just, it's, it's just interesting to think about it because like a lot of these things seem somewhat common sense. You know, it's like, oh, find ways to reduce the amount of food we throw out. And, but like, I didn't think about the fact that you're like, you're also wasting the resources that went into producing the food. Yeah, you're wasting like, all the resources. That's yeah. a lot of things behind one like sandwich. Yeah. One mm-hmm. shrimp po' boy that we had. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I like to think about it too, especially something that's really motivating for me is to think about all like the human resources that went into making that food. Mm -hmm. It's like from the person who planted and then harvested and then processed and trucked around the country and like whatever else to that person who like actually prepared the meal in the dining hall, like when you waste it, um, you know, all that work that they put into it is just for naught. And that's a really like kind of sad thing to think about. So... I don't know, that's particularly, that was particularly motivating for me when I was running my chapter at Michigan, and I think that it's something our students like to think about, too. 
especially in terms of honoring the dining services because oftentimes they have really strong relationships with the people who are donating food to them and it's good to you know make sure that those people who have cooked the food are not seeing all their hard work being thrown out yeah Mm. we had a person when i was at michigan the very first dining hall that we worked in uh kind of pulled aside and she was in tears because she like worked so hard to make this food that like students wanted to eat and make sure that she had enough of it and like they really hated throwing it out at the end of the day like it made them so upset to see all that like food go to waste Mm -hmm. so that was i think a good like sort of like we have to keep going moment for our chapter back in the day Mm. Getting a little teary. <laughs> and um, so Sheila, so, so on, on your end, like, what do you, do, when do you find like, you know, that was obviously a rewarding and motivating thing for you. What do you find sometimes? Have you had any situations where like people have like come up and said something, or any, any, just any events that have kind of like demonstrated the efficacy of your work? Um, I well, honestly, I think it was actually um, what's really rewarding for me personally is seeing people uh, beginning to be more comfortable with different ways of getting around. Um, so Hannah and I, I think we mentioned that we're roommates um, mm-hmm. in this big group house in D.C. We live with seven other people in a three-story house. Huge shout out to our beautiful roommates right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are probably snowed in yep, in, in the middle of a blizzard. But um a lot of us are really into the biking community in DC and some of us are really uncomfortable and again, don't feel safe on the roads. Um, Cause DC right now, I think is a city that's reasonably um, easy to get around in without a car, but most people have one for running errands and just to make life easier. But um, yeah, I guess par- this is probably partially because I don't really go to public meetings or interact with many of our clients firsthand, but for me, the most rewarding thing has been to take some of our housemates out and just ride them around the city and uh, take them, you know, introduce them to infrastructure that makes them feel really safe and uh, pulse them into a different part of the city that they maybe haven't seen before. Um, yeah. yeah, she may or may not be talking about a bike ride that we went on recently. <laughs> I am the worst environmentalist ever. I hate bikes. I mean, theoretically, I love them, but me on a bike in the city is actually not something that I'm comfortable with. So she, which is totally me. fine. I mean, you know, yeah. I want I want to feel more comfortable though. So it's it's cool to know that like 15th Street or some other places in DC do have those lanes and like riding on them. Like Sheila just said, she took us out um, riding on them. I did realize that like it is a bit. It feels a bit safer once mm-hmm. you're actually on the street and like there's you know the markers and like people are respecting your space. So. Yeah, kudos for getting me on a bike, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add? It's a, it's a little on the short side, but I mean, I just don't want to like, you know, if, if there's more you want to talk about, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation, but, you know, is, is there anything you want to say? Any thoughts you'll mm-hmm. have or something in particular you want to? I think that our conversation brings up an idea that I have a lot and that I had when I was studying at Michigan is just that sustainability is like really complicated and mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard for the average person who doesn't focus on sustainability to see all the different ways in which we need to make progress 
Um, but if you have the time and capacity, like it's important to think about food waste or bike transportation um, or all the number of other weird things, mm-hmm. you know, like weird packaging issues and, and, also and just other like, stuff. So And knowing that it's okay to take baby steps and help in whatever way you can. Like you were talking about yeah. how you were joking about how you're a bad environmentalist because you don't <laughs> like bikes, but I'm, I mean, I'm pretty terrible with food waste. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it. And, you know, there are plenty of people who care a lot about the environment but still drive everywhere because they, they have to. Right. Um, True. True. And, and, no, it depends on what choices are available to you. And I think educating yourself is the important first yeah. step. And, yeah, just doing whatever you can in good faith. Yeah, I agree. Also, if you're looking for jobs in sustainability, think creatively about what you could do because there's a million ways to have a positive mm-hmm. impact. Yeah. Well, five years ago, there wasn't Food Recovery Network. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge shout out to our co-founders. Like, they they really got it started, and now food waste is such a hot issue. Um, not just because of FRN, not that just the work that we've done, but... No, but you're part of it. We I are mean. definitely part of it, and yeah, it's, it's super exciting to see how... A, few people started talking and thinking about this and now it's become a national standard a global issue that people are you know at least aware of more than they used to be so mm-hmm. in the words of the ever immortal Shia LaBeouf <laughs> don't let your dreams be dreams wow <laughs> Shia <laughs> that's just awesome. do it just do it <laughs> do it yeah do so it if what you happens can. when you put three 90s babies in a room together <laughs> oh, oh Shia LaBeouf it's wow. okay so, anything else? Anything you want to share? Any last words of wisdom, Sheila? Honestly, I feel like I'm just going into a po boy coma. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. No, uh, don't no throw shot. out your Ride food. your bike. Ride your bike. <laughs> just do what you can. Yeah. That's, That's all, all I've got to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is fun, y'all. So, thanks for doing this, and um, hope hopefully this this setup was uh, wasn't too. Uh, rickety. It's uh, three people around a mic. It's an interesting challenge, but I think it'll be all right. I'll let I'll let people complain and remind them that they can pay for me to have a nicer setup. There you go. That's, yeah, encourage that. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, um, thanks again, and uh, I guess we'll be heading off to the quarter soon. So, uh, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>